A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are talking about goings on behind the scenes on WWE this week, we are here via our Ica Pro Power DeLorean back in 1993, where Bobby Heenan has a terrible cold and Bret Hart does a terrible interview. Spoiler warning there. My name is Tom Campbell. If you're asking who be we, I am Tom Campbell. Campbell, uh, fake Geordie, radio presenter and manager of Mickey the Dragon. I am here with the bear in the big blue barcade, the man that should you give him a pencil, he will snap it in front of his of your very eyes and push both pieces right inside your nose because he doesn't need a pencil because he is the head pen. He gets it right every time. There's Justin Henry from Off of America. I thought you were the articulate one on the show. No, not tonight, mate. <laughs> tonight I am the Firestarter, comma, Twisted Firestarter. R.I.P. Keith Flint. Yeah, yes, and also R.I.P. to Luke Perry, who has a wrestling connection, the father of Jack Perry, who wrestles in, uh, well, will soon wrestle in All Elite Wrestling under the name Jungle Boy Nate Coy. It's kind of appropriate that we're doing a show based in 1993 since, uh, Luke Perry at the time was quite was quite a pop culture icon and teen heartthrob. Very much so. What a shame. That I didn't realize that he was the he was uh, Jungle Boy's dad. Yeah, I saw that when uh, Jungle Boy signed. I'm like, wow, son of Luke Perry. That's kind of a, you know, an odd wrestling connection. You see second generation wrestlers who have fathers or mothers in the business. And, you know, you don't often see uh, the stars of Beverly Hills 90210 producing wrestling offspring, but. Here we go. On the Cultaholic Facebook page, we asked you for some fake facts about everybody's favorite WWF authority figure, Jack Tunney. Wait, I thought these were real. <laughs> and they were incredible. And I think we should save these till the end of tonight's show. Okay, that sounds I, good. I, was, I got uh... some absolute belters that you've selected, and I believe that, Justin, you have some as well. Uh, yes, I did, and I was, I was going to spend all evening updating Jack Tony's Wikipedia page to make sure that they reflected all of the information that we were provided here, because I thought these were legit. <laughs> There's some incredible work in there, and we'll get to that at the end of the show. Meanwhile, Justin, where and when are we this week? Uh, we It is September 20th, 1993, episode 32 of Monday Night Raw. This was taped one week prior on September 13th at the Manhattan Center, and this is the final Manhattan Center episode of Raw, until 1997. Oh, leave the memories alone. I'm going to miss the Manhattan Center. From what I gather, it was an absolute headache to get that ring into the building because it was up like four flights of stairs and they had like a dodgy lift yeah. and all this. Yeah, it's kind of like Saturday Night Live where they had to get all these square sets of, up to the whatever floor it was at 30 Rock there in, in New York City. So it, ha it has its aesthetic charm, but apparently it was a pain in the ass. The Dolphin Center in Darlington has a similar issue. 
should should anybody in the northeast want the want the feeling of the Manhattan Center near them, go to the Dolphin Center in Darlington. It does have an aesthetic charm to it. The, the whole ballroom setup, it's very unique, and and I'm going to miss it as we go through these shows because from this point forward, it's just glorified rec centers. And there's some ugly places that we yet, we are yet to visit. I should note before we get into this show that this was a very newsworthy time for WWF as Doink the Clown, Matt Bourne, and the Steiner brothers were all suspended from the company for various reasons, while Shawn Michaels, this is according to the Wrestling Observer, was suspended for failing a steroid test and quit the company Ooh. As, the, as the Intercontinental Champion, which I noticed that later on in the show, someone who was feuding with Shawn, Shawn's had a match, and Shawn's name never came up once, but rather Diesel's name came up uh, as kind of a surrogate opponent for this guy. So they're kind of uh, whitewashing Sean at the moment, I believe. Mm, intriguing. So the Steiners are gone by this point. Uh, yes, which which would explain the promo at the end of the show, but we'll get there when we get there. There is a reason why uh, a certain stipulation was welched upon. And apparently they were none too happy with their time in the company. They felt they were underpaid. This is according to Dave Melter in 1993. It says all three men, the Steiners and Matt Bourne, were all removed from house shows for eight weeks, but they're scheduled to return at that point. And it just seemed like it, it was just unhappiness on both sides, both WWF and and with the Steiners. And it's a shame we... because I it's one of those where, once again, and this will be prevalent throughout our time exploring the uh, the back catalogue of the WWF, anything that Vince McMahon doesn't create, he really struggles with. Usually, usually. I mean, there have been exceptions. Yeah, but they're very the few and far between. Yeah, he kind of uh, he stays tuned into his own product, and he wants it to be in in his image, to his liking, and if something that I mean, a lot of it is for licensing purposes. Their you know their own creations put into action figures and T-shirts and whatever. But yeah, for the most part, it really is. You know, if we didn't create it, then it's not important. And the Steiners very much weren't a product of the WWF. They were they were given an aesthetic that made them feel like part of the WWF. The whole college fight music entrance and all of that. But they never truly felt fully molded in the WWF, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they definitely had the stench of WCW on them, which isn't which which isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, they were credible no matter what. They they were the Steiner brothers, and you know they needed no other modifier. You just put them out there and let them, you know, abuse jobbers for five minutes and put them in some kick-ass tag matches with Money Inc. and the and uh, the Heavenly Bodies. You didn't have to do a whole lot to to really uh, tweak that with, with the Steiners. And they do some battering this week, don't they? Oh, uh, they certainly do. We begin with uh, highlights from last week's tag title change: the infamous Quebec Province Rules match in which Jacques and Pierre are making their raw debut won the tag team titles as a result of a disqualification when Scott used a hockey stick on Jacques. But this week, we have Scott versus Pierre. And a dramatic graphic with it that involves the sound of a cage door slamming. Scott's <laughs> picture comes in, choom. Pierre's picture comes in, choom. And it's you absolutely nailed this on Twitter. Uh, if you don't do so already, follow Justin at JRH Writing. When you said, this is a match that we would want to see in 2019. And it really is, isn't it? Scott Steiner versus PCO in 2019. Oh, my <laughs> days. I'd, I'd move mountains to be there. Or turn him into a super team. Big Papa Pump and the French Frankenstein. Oh, for 
Crimenine. Everybody would die. <laughs> Everybody would die. <laughs> It'd be like Godzilla and Mothra coming together and just destroying Tokyo as one. Oh my god. Book it. Book it. So we start off with Scott versus Pierre, and the stipulation is that if the Steiners, if Scott wins this match, he earns a title shot for his team. We have a close-up of Francine at ringside. Hi, Francine, Queen of Extreme. Scott's so annoyed by this proposition that he he barely even tags hands with the fans on the way to the ring. He's so unenthusiastic. It's it, this is where you there's things like this where you know that. Well, obviously, we do know now because we know now. But this is where we've got two weeks' worth of Monday Night Raws recorded back-to-back. So we get the vibe that that in in the wrestlers' heads, they're just following through a night's work. But really, there's been a week difference. So you kind of need to reset a lot of things. Bobby Heenan spends all night resetting what happened to him. I'd almost argue too much. Yeah, Heenan's selling the effects of the water attack from last week. He's sneezing. He's hacking up a lung. He's acting like he has pneumonia or a cold. He's telling us he has a 113-degree temperature, which is fatal. <laughs> he, he just – he cannot put over enough that he, that he is ill from – I guess going through like ammonia tablets that were in the water and dissolved or something because he's, he's near death throughout this entire show. It's, 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 it's funny, but it almost goes on too much. But it's still very funny because it's Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan is, is, is a class act with stuff like this. Yeah, he will. He will put everything he has into the joke to get it over, even if he has to do it over and over again. He he will, he will sell to his heart's content. And thankfully, he has a big heart for that. So the match begins, and it's very on the nose because Scott does all the moves that would have been DQs last week. He 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 dives off the top rope, throws Pierre over the top rope, gives him a nasty looking pile driver at one point. Because it's like, oh, oh, I can do them now, so here they all are. And Scott actually applies the modified Muda lock. The uh, inverted death lock where he leans back and pulls the head up. It was, yeah. I, I did feel this was a this was very rough and ready to start with. Like, it started off a bit, it started off very aggressive. Well, it fits what you're trying to convey here. That Scott's pissed off over what happened, quote unquote, last week. So he's taking all this aggression out on Pierre and... I got to say, that close-up of Pierre's leg caught in the death lock part, it just made me cringe because he realizes how much pressure is being applied. It's not good for the old uh, ACL and LCL there. But this was this was Scott proving to be like a an absolute mentalist throughout this entire match. Yeah, he's he just hoys him out of the ring and he's shouting at the ref and yeah, I'm just watching back that ACL lock. It's like an like an STF, isn't it? And yeah, that looks very painful. Yeah, he's just very Terminator-like in his assault on Pierre here. There's there's nothing fun about this for for Scott or for Pierre, who's enduring all this pain. Scott even chases Pierre and Polo to the locker room with the hockey stick before before commercial break. We come back. Jacques rejoins Pierre, and then Rick runs out because you got to have both partners are ringside for uh. You know, just to watch it, you know, just to watch their guys' backs. Now, I Rick's feel like when we come back from break, and then Jack and Johnny Polo have come out, and then Rick comes out, I feel like this is where the match dips. A, a it becomes bit, a bit think... headlock city. Do you not think? It did a little bit. 
you're kind of expecting a little more chicanery on the on the Quebecers' side, and Rick's trying to get more involved in order to uh, you know, prevent interference. You think there'd be more story here, but it kind of just it's just a basic matchup until the end. It really, I just it just seemed like a lot of headlocks, a couple of slams, a lot of headlocks, a bit of a run in, a few more headlocks, and then suddenly out of nowhere. So Scott unloads with the finishing routine where he's like, I'm going to do all of my moves now. All the ones. The Steiner line. A-ba-boom. Double underhook pile. Power slam. A-ba-ba-boom. And then the, the Frankensteiner, which, do you know what? Every time I see Scott do this in 1993, I love it a bit more. Because the idea of somebody big like Scott Steiner doing a Frankensteiner always seems weird. But he delivers it like a pile driver. He, he's it's just actually a really so unique ag- way of doing it. He's just so agile and so strong. He's just a freak, Scott Steiner. He really I mean, is. I know, I know he has his quote-unquote freaks, but he's a freak on. He's a freak in his own right. And just the, the combination of power and agility needed to do that move and do it as well as he did at his size. It might be the most impressive wrestling move in history. More impressive than anything Ricochet's done, if you consider the size of the performer involved. Yeah, when you, I mean, I mean, we're it's kind of in the way that how how we enjoy watching Keith Lee in 2019. Mm. Like Keith Lee, who is a big old <laughs> unit, and he's flipping around the ring like a cruiserweight. There is that, but there's also the cooperation element from the Frankenstein because the guy has to flip along with Scott. It, it, he's really giving the impression that he's dragging the guy with him by the legs, you know, while flipping over, which is. <laughs> And driving it's, their head into the ground as well, which is how this move seems to end. It's like if you watch you know, matches with certain high flyers from back in the day, like the Rockers mm. or Owen Hart or Jushin Liger. A lot of this stuff does age really well, but a lot of it has been improved upon by like the modern high flyers, your Ricochets, your Will Ospreys. If Scott Steiner did the Frankensteiner today for the first time, you know, 30-year-old Scott Steiner, how, how old he was back then, it would have gotten a massive pop. It's not like it's like, oh, we've seen that before. It's like, holy hell, how did he what the it's it's staggering how he does it. There is a there's a there's a lovely bespokeness about the way he does the Frankensteiner. And it's and it's it, it's it's a move from back then that has aged extraordinarily well. Like I said, not a lot I'm not messing in to say it hasn't stuff else hasn't aged well, but it's been improved upon. I think the two wrestlers from that era, who's 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 wrestling, you, you watch it back, you watch stuff from back then today, and it still astounds you. Is Scott Steiner and Rey Mysterio? Definitely. If you had, if I had to pick two guys from that era that their stuff holds up a hundred percent, it's those two. And what I love is uh, with this match is it's a match that we know it was. There was elements of it that were enjoyable. There was a lot of headlocks in the second in kind of the, the second act. Um, mm-hmm. but it's a match that we know if it were to happen today, it would have such appeal because of the nature of how both of those poor performers evolved. And, and although, although it is true that Scott Steiner today isn't quite the force of agile nature that he was in 1993. Sadly not. It, no. It's still a match I would definitely... I mean, you, you can't hold up you know, in your mid-late 50s doing the Frankensteiner. It's, I mean, if he could do that, he... he I would say he's the best wrestler of all time just on that merit alone. <laughs> but it's it's still a match you definitely want to see. And something else in this match that I noticed, 
is when they were talking about Radio WWF. Bobby Heenan, because I guess Johnny Polo made some cameos on the Saturday Night Show. Heenan's talking about how Polo's like, you know, what, how Radio WWF is so hot because of what Polo's done. He says, he's even hotter than Imus, which I think was a shot at Rob Bartlett. Yeah, that was a that was a weird shout, the the Imus thing. And like you say, I, I had a funny feeling it might have been a little bit a little bit of a nod in the general direction of a, of an old announcer. It's only been six months since the Snow Raw where Bartlett imitated Vince, and I think he was still a little bit sore about that. I mean, should you be intrigued to find out more about Radio WWF? Uh, there's a fantastic um, wrestling blog called Ring the Damn Bell, and they do mm-hmm. an entire piece on Radio WWF and how it was... a a nice idea that didn't quite work out. It will gain a little bit more fame in October when Macho Man Randy Savage makes an appearance on the show. And let's just say we had the equivalent of a shoot interview about which Savage delves into certain topics that that were maybe taboo for on-air consumption, but certainly not all fair. Ooh, I did not know that that happened. Is, is it connected to a bit of, what we see of Randy Savage in the next match? Uh, not at all. It actually has to do with, uh, well, there is a parallel because it involves Savage and somebody who's not his friend anymore. You're not my friend anymore, which is basically <laughs> what we hear in the next match. It is, and it's a, it's a real-life you're-not-my-friend-anymore situation that Savage speaks very candidly about on Radio WWF, and that actually will bleed over on on the air in October of 93. Ooh. So a few shows from now, we will, we will get a taste of that, and we'll be happy to discuss it at that time in much more depth. And then we come to what could be the greatest squash match in the history of Monday Night Raw. You were really high on this, weren't you? Well, I saw this, and I, and I was boggled by this match. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Laverne McGill. You were so excited. You even messaged me to go like that Bam Bam Bigelow squash. It's like, oh, okay, I'm intrigued. Well, first I have to ask, what was your opinion of this match? Um, long, <laughs> and and not when the commentators aren't even paying attention. Because <laughs> okay, well... it's there was there was a massive storyline element during this match that dominated mm-hmm. the commentary desk. And even when right. that finished and the match was still going, Vince started plugging like silk stockings on the USA Network. <laughs> he did, but at the same time, I didn't know much about Laverne McGill going into this. I just knew that Laverne's kind of an unusual name for a man. And Bobby Heenan even made the requisite Laverne and Shirley joke. Obviously, yeah, he did it. He did it for us. I could even write it down in my notes here. Laverne McGill apparently was a was a regular squash match guy between 92 and 94, according to my best research here. He is so incredibly agile that I'm actually shocked that he, he didn't have a big career. Well, not, I mean, not, not a big career, but a consistent career after this. Because he's, he's got a good look. Like, I was quite a fan of, of him. Obviously, he spent a lot of the time getting battered. But there was something about him, something kind of captivating about him. He carried himself very well, and his drop kick, he must have got like four feet, up, four, four or five feet of height off the ground. Just it to... was a beauty, wasn't it? This guy must have been a high jumper in high school, maybe even college. He is so incredibly agile. There was a point where, where 
where Bam Bam Bigelow attempted a, a drop kick. Uh, and I think it might have been the worst drop kick in the history of time. Worse and Eric Bam Watson Bam is it? normally really good for this sort of thing. But it's like... Well, we in... have to... So go on. I'll say, we... I'll say worse than Eric Watson's drop kick on Dr. Death. Oh, now that's a goal. Oh, I'm try- I don't know. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to keep perspective here. I mean, it was it was still pretty bad because um, it was it looked like like genuinely. If you were watching this match now, you'd assume uh, that Laverne was was going to grab Bam Bam's legs on the way down, maybe turn it into a Boston Crab. No, it was just it was a drop kick, and and Laverne fell over, and Bam Bam fell forward. It's it's ugly. It's a very very ugly move. It, it, it was pretty ugly in that spot, but this match is pretty ambitious. It was like five minutes long. Was, I wonder was... whether the reason it was long was because like the commentators had a lot of a lot of stuff that they had to talk about. Uh, there could have been that. It could have been just a matter of, hey, can you guys go a little bit long so that we can get this angle in while you guys are working? And it could could have just been as simple as that. It did feel and like Bayman, that. And the band is all hell if we're going five minutes, and how about you get in some offense for a little bit? Because because Bam is a pretty giving performer, I think. He, he'll he'll sell, for, especially for a guy his size. He'll sell for a lot of guys that are smaller than him. So it the, was, and, uh, and it was having, a long match, yeah, and he did get in quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, McGill. I mean, after that drop kick, I, I took notice. I'm thinking, like, okay, this isn't your ordinary squash match now. And the, and the crowd and the crowd was digging this. And there's even a spot where Bam throws him to the floor through the ropes. Now, usually when you get thrown through the ropes, you, know, you kind of brace your hand on the apron, and you take a, a somewhat controlled tumble to the outside and land on the mat. McGill went through the ropes, and he hung in suspended animation for about a split second, and then just <laughs> splatted to the floor. I, I put down here, it looked a bit like one of those moments where they go, freeze frame. I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation. <laughs> It was like when Wiley e. Coyote runs off the cliff and then realizes that he's, he's not on solid ground anymore. Oh, and then he just falls down. You see him, the Wiley e. Coyote cam as he falls into the distance. I, 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 I have to go back for a moment. If, yes, if you could show Laverne McGill chasing the Roadrunner, falling off the cliff, and good luck finding a good enough image of Laverne McGill, Laverne McGill in midair. Good luck, John. <laughs> we, we, we support you and appreciate you. We're counting on you. <laughs> so, I had I had to point out that when this match started, Vince is still crying about about Scott Steiner's victory. At that point, uh, Themis Clarity's the ring girl is just carrying the sign around the ring, and Vince assures us that the Steiners are strutting their stuff like Themis is. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that is a mental image. Rick and Scott Steiner just backstage, just just doing like a like a little like a coquettish like coquettishly walking up and down the locker room. Actually, John, if you could just scrap the Laverne McGill thing, <laughs> that's the Photoshop I want. Oh, he's done it Rick now. Is... John, I want to pause the podcast to do it. <laughs> John, delete Boy, it. I... <laughs> yes, I want Scott and Rick carrying placards to say, I want it raw. <laughs> Revenge is a dish best served raw, etc. And I want you to tweet it directly to Scott Steiner. <laughs> it's like... It's like Scott Steiner and one of his freaks in like a like Freaky Friday, hence the freak part. <laughs> Where Medeja becomes Big Papa Pump and Scott becomes the 
<laughs> sensual accompaniment. Basically, John, we'd like you to Photoshop Scott Steiner being effeminate and then tweet it to Scott Steiner <laughs> with your full postal address. This is part of your initiation. <laughs> yes, John. This is part. Of, if you do this, then then you'll you'll be on the show. <laughs> Mr. Fuji never has never performed quite like this. <laughs> so now, so we have the mid-match angle, which has nothing to do with Bam Bam, but rather a phone call from, as Vince calls him, the great Hawaiian wrestler crush. Oh, shaka bra. Because last week, uh, Crush's phone call apparently had technical difficulties, and of course we know what really happened. He hung up on Randy Savage as soon as Savage started talking. We don't well, know we that th yet, because we think it was maybe... He asked if it was Macho Man Randy Savage on the phone, and when Savage went, yes, it is, um, the phone hung up. We still don't know for definite that Crush has a, has a dilemma with the Savage. Maybe we'll find out now. Well, Savage is such a friend that he that he didn't call him on Tuesday to, to, to confirm that it was an issue or anything. Like you had seven days to call him. That's the that's the funny bit. I think it's just the fact that oh, he hung up on me. I I better wait a week and then ring him again <laughs> and do it on live television. <laughs> Crush hasn't called me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Crush hung up on me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, so, so Crush is patched through again. They're talking to him. Well, Vince is. And Crush is like, like, yeah, brother, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm, I ran a few miles down the beach. I'm doing great. I'm coming back stronger than ever. And then Savage jumps in and asks him a question. And then there's dead silence. And and then Savage uh, says, you know, hey, you there? And, and Chris says, is that Macho Man Randy Savage? And he makes it clear that he's not talking to him, and he's never going to talk to him again, and this time he legitimately hangs up the phone. Do you think they laid that on a bit too thick, or do you think it's time to push the story along? Because I don't know whether, I think him going, I'm never talking to you again, brah, and then hanging up. I don't know whether it was laid on a bit too thick. I'd liked it to have been, click, hang up again. Well, we are a few weeks away from what the big payoff is going to be. But I guess I didn't mind this because now you're wondering what it could have been because well, – spoiler alert here. Crush is upset because Savage didn't save him during the Yoko attack back in July, and he has hard feelings about that. And But at that point, you know, you're not really sure that that's the reason because nothing was really expressed about that in the aftermath, so you don't know why Crush is pissed at Savage at this point. Maybe you could have tried to connect the dots and, and assume that that's what it could have been, but that's not explicit. Okay. So, Crush is pissed at Savage, and at this point, in 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 the mind of the, of a uh, of someone watching the show, it could literally be anything. And of course, Vince is so broken up about Savage's confusion and his you know, his predicament here that he plugs Silk Stockings. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, because Savage kind of sat there, feeling a little bit sad for himself. They were like, well, hey, let's hey, the show goes on. Silk stockings, eh? Well, if I if I called into this show and you're wrong with somebody else, and you're like, hey, Justin, how you doing? And I and I cursed you out and hung up. Wouldn't you be a little bit upset? I'd hope so. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we just, I'm not I'm not blaming Savage for being upset at all. I just think it's just funny how it's just like uh, back to business. Uh, but Bobby's connected the <laughs> well, dots. Bobby's jumped in there, and Bobby's gone. I know that the technical difficulty is sat next to you, Vince. The technical difficulty is Randy Savage. 
That should have been his nickname, the technical difficulty, Randy Savage. Should have had, like a new outfit and everything. <laughs> the Macho Man was just so 1970s, it's time to move on with a new gimmick. It's like when they reinvented Lex Luger as made in the U.S. hit Lex Luger. <laughs> Here's Randy Savage. He has a buzz. It doesn't work. Why? Because of technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> so this match finally comes to an end. Bam Bam catches McGill coming up the second rope. Hits him with this dangerous-looking suplex slam where he just drops him. And then proceeds to drop himself on McGill via a standing senton, which is which is a rib breaker if there ever was one. That was pretty ambitious for a five-minute extended squash. It was really. And like I said, I wish it would have made more of a, a star of, yeah, Le- of Laverne. Well, to be fair, is Laverne McGill like a, a WrestleMania main eventer's name? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but you could take him away and repackage him. Surely. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure, you need... I'm sure you'd have to do that. You couldn't picture, like, you know, the Limp Bizkit video. Austin. Stokel Steve Austin. Laverne McGill. This time I'm going to let it all come out. This John! This time I'm going to stand up and shout. John! Austin McGill, make it happen. I have to beat you, Laverne McGill. More than anything else ever. <laughs> I need to defeat you. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Deborah is in Laverne McGill's corner <laughs> for the biggest WrestleMania <laughs> match in history. And Deborah doesn't even have the most effeminate name in that match. <laughs> <laughs> now I want McGill a, a could have a star. I don't care what you say. I want a Laverne and Deborah sitcom now where they work at the brewery. <laughs> I want I want Laverne to team up with UK British wrestling legend Big Daddy. Because Big Daddy's real name was Shirley Crabtree. I was connecting the dots there. Yeah, you were you were with me. You were with me. I was thinking Pennsylvania based indie wrestler Shirley Doe from the early two thousands. I mean that that would work too, because I'm pretty sure by this point Shirley Crabtree was no longer with us. Yes, yeah, so you know, they would try and keep it somewhat modernized. <laughs> so we have the footage of Doink's face turn, which is just a knife through my heart. I don't like the fact they're making Doink a good guy. They've had the coolest bad guy of all time, and they've made him a good guy. What's all that about? Uh, Vince calls the footage entertaining and humorous. So we know where his sense of humor lies. Entertaining is... and humorous. <laughs> waka waka. Uh, of course, he informs us that he has a collapsed lung as a result of the water attack. I I just found that line funny. It's like, I have a collapsed lung. I, oh, Bobby was amazing. He, he, he's adding new symptoms and defects to himself with like every segment. He's 113 temperature. He's, he actually has a thermometer in his mouth at the commentary desk, and Vince has to check it to confirm that he's actually... You know, capable of living a little while longer. Yeah, yeah Heenan is, uh, is going to thread this till the very end of the show. Well, actually, no, because in the last segment, he appears to be fine. But, uh, but we'll get to that. Up next is your favorite interview ever with Brett the Hitman Hart. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. <sighs> and you know what? Like, unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. I don't like Brett promos until like 97. Okay, that's fair enough. I just, I don't, to me, there's there's an inherent, oh, just so many people are going to hate me. There's an inherent awkwardness when Bret Hart talks, I feel. A lot of people will, will say it's real. It's not a wrestling promo. It's a real talk promo. But that just doesn't. It just seems to throw in phrase like things like the fact of the matter is uh, quite a lot. <laughs> like phrases to buy your brain time to contemplate what you're going to say next. Yeah, it is a bit stagey compared to a quote unquote real promo. I mean, it was realistic enough to where he was, you know, you contrast him to the likes of Hogan and Savage, and he doesn't have the same bombast. He comes off more human like. But I do, I do agree about the about the stiltedness and the awkwardness, and the crowd was a little bit bored during this promo. I, I got to say, I think Vince told that the SummerSlam buy rate was going to suck because he spelled out the entire Brett Doink Lawler saga for like two straight minutes to the crowd, and then Doink made his entrance, and then you had a match, and then Lawler got involved, and then Jack Tunney came out. Like the, the he spoon feeding until the jar is empty. And, and then and in the then next match, Ludwig Borga beat Marty Jannetty. And then after that... <laughs> Luger won by countout. <laughs> the crowd's all asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so then Brett's disputing Lawler's kingship. So he's going to put family honor over belts and crowns. Does not regret not releasing the sharpshooter. Takes him a while to get to that point, but he got there. See, Wasn't I the like the stuff that he's saying. I like the the... The way that his promos go, the whole idea of family is important to me more so than belts. This belt is just a trinket. It's a toy. I'm kidding. He didn't mean that. 
And the fact that I love that stuff. I love the whole thing of people telling me I had the chop shitter on too long. I didn't have it on long enough. Like those things are great, but like he's so slow and ploddy with his delivery that it loses all power. Yeah, he's had more confident promos. This one was just a bit wooden. It really I do was. agree with that. As a as a Brett fan, I do agree with that. And it's that was kind of his his weakness was he didn't he didn't always put a, a, enough oomph into what he was saying. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. And if he didn't, you really noticed it. But for the most part, it was fine. It got the point across, even if it wasn't his best. And then we come to <laughs> the latest installment of the unbelievable ad campaign. Oh, the, <laughs> oh, wow! This is my favorite new generation advert this absolutely is because it just smacks of irony in a couple of years time <laughs> oh it does and it has a cheesy quality to it see what happened was it begins with this beautiful young blonde sitting on a park bench and she's reading a book and up up to her walks this guy in, in, in Razor Ramon's outfit. They're playing Razor's music. He's doing a really bad Razor impression. So if Razor's doing a bad Scarface, imagine a much worse Scarface, like a, a barely efforted Scarface to, to say hello to the bad guy, and she doesn't notice him. She doesn't turn her head. Then he shows up dressed as Bret Hart. He says, I'm execution excellence. She doesn't notice him. Which I think is a better catchphrase. <laughs> perhaps slightly and then we come to the part that actually makes me laugh out loud because it's so it's wrong and funny at the same time he's not imitating Tatanka he's doing the war dance around her in Tatanka's outfit and keep in mind this guy he's probably like 110 pounds soaking wet he's just, he's just, he's just, he's just a total peewee he's just he's doing the war dancer it's playing the music she doesn't notice him then finally he dresses as Randy Savage doing the oh yeah doesn't notice him. Then the real savage walks in. She notices him. He, he, he takes her by the hand. The guy, and the poor soul who was trying to get her attention walks off dejected. And, and then she leaves with, with the actual Randy Savage. And he goes, don't fall for cheap imitations. And that's it. Says the company who in a few years time will hock out cheap imitations of Razor Ramon and Diesel. Not only that, but prior to that, when uh, they lost Sergeant Slaughter, here's Corporal Kirchner. <laughs> when Jimmy Smith was gone, here's Superfly C.V. Affy. <laughs> don't, don't fall for cheap imitations. Or, or, or worse yet. Except when we tell you to. How about the patriotic Lex Luger? Who's, <laughs> hey, Hogan's out of the picture. Okay, here's our new patriot. <laughs> it's so true I didn't even thought that deeply it's so true and not only that when Savage is gone they make fun of him with a parody here's the Nacho Man and the Immortal Huckster it's brother. so funny it's just it's, I, I, the, the message is the message is cute but it's also incredibly incredibly ironic it is and it, 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 it well, actually, if you think about it, what was the ad targeting? Like, were they... It wasn't like there was... 
a savage imitator in wcw or anything well this is when wcw was kind of on the march and they were becoming a bit more family friendly i do believe so they were because they knew that was where some of the money was. So they were sort of. Is this got the time of like Arachnaman in WCW? A few years, few years after. A few years after, but it's kind of that period where they're probably realizing that there's a lot of money to be had in family wrestling, rather than Southern wrestling. So the the changes uh, the changes being made. But it just seems weird to the guys imitating WWF superstars, and it's. It's not like WCW was was knocking their gimmicks off. Like, uh, you know, here's here's the bad guy, Dustin Rhodes. You know, here's uh here here's Ricky the Hitman Steamboat or anything like that. <laughs> Although that'd be kind of cool, actually. I quite like Ricky the Hitman Steamboat. <laughs> Macho Man Shock Master. Ooh, yeah, I did fell again. <laughs> I might make some of these on 2K19. <laughs> The ultimate hybrids. <laughs> oh my! Ah, oh, that'd be amazing. Like, welcome, welcome to the WWE multiverse, featuring the Macho Man Randy Orton. <laughs> the only thing I could think of was possibly Tatanka, because WCW had Charlie Norris at that point. Although, was he really a, like a, a threat or anything to, you know, steal the audience away from WWE? Like, all oh, Tatanka fans are watching worldwide now because of Charlie Norris. That's kind of a that's kind of a stretch to have a whole ad campaign based around, but whatever. <laughs> it was what it was, and it was a cute little ad. Yeah. And it, so now we come to Mr. Perfect versus Mike Bell. Now, remember last week's show where Perfect faced Tony DeVito and basically was having a rough night. Smacked the crap out of him after the match and stomped him. Apparently, legitimately, it looked that way. He cursed the referee's name. I said, "Don't raise my, you know, get the f off me or whatever." He tried to raise his arm. He was very, very cross. This week, he he seems he still seems a little bit peeved, but not as much. I wonder whether this is the this is this is a thing with Mister Perfect because every that's, week that's now, for the last few, he's come out and he's faced local enhancement talent and just progressively got more dickish with them. Yeah, they're starting to add a little bit of edge to the character instead of just having him be a uh, a regular baby face and just you now smiling good guy superhero. Now he, he he's kind of getting the, that bit of a, a bit of bite back into what, in his character. And I, I gotta say, it's quite coincidental that his opponent is Mike Bell. Do you know why Mike Bell is famous as a wrestler? Yes. What? Didn't he get a shooing by Perry Saturn? In 2001, on, on WF Weekend Programming, for it was either Jacked or Metal or one of those shows, he wrestled Perry Saturn, and he, he dropped Saturn on his head at one point off like a snapmare or an arm drag. Then Saturn flipped the frig out, started punching and kicking him legitimately, then threw him to the floor and caused Bell to land right on top of his head. Like, like, unprotected. Jeez. Yeah. That was messy. I, I, I never seem w- to remember this at the time. Was It was quite a hot topic. And then he picked Bell up by the legs and just ran him back first into the ring steps as hard as he could. Which which is kind of you know unusual for a squash match to, to, 
he'll do a spot such as that. Uh, Bell has actually since passed on, unfortunately. He died in 2008 of a myocardial infarction, according to Wikipedia. Uh, his brother was a filmmaker, Chris Bell, who did the, who did the documentary Bigger, Stronger, Faster. And didn't they follow Mike Bell? Uh, they did, and there's actually a follow-up uh, documentary called Prescription Thugs, which, which explores Mike's uh, life and death by prescription drugs, according to Wikipedia here. I, I never actually saw a documentary, but I heard great things about the first one, at least. So Mike Bell apparently had a very troubled life, caused in part by the wrestling business, apparently. And I believe it started here with Mr. Perfect. I'm going to put all the blame on Kurt Hennig. No, don't do that. That's not cool. <laughs> It was. This was a very. This was another quite aggressive performance from Mr. Perfect, though. That's why I'm starting to think that uh, last week wasn't so much uh, him uh, having a bad night or anything. It may have just been what they were going for with the character, and this it, is an it, it looks so real. Yeah. Maybe it says, okay, maybe don't drop the f bomb to the referee. Maybe don't stomp Devito in the head after you get up from the mat. You know, just pull it back a, a scotch if you could. And so we have a better match this time. Well, a better mood perfect match, shall we say. Bobby Heenan buries Joe Fowler to start this match, which which made me so happy because I hate Joe Fowler. <laughs> Why'd you hate Joe Fowler? Uh, for no reason other than the fact that he was awful at his job. <laughs> I, it totally slipped my mind. I forgot that Joe Fowler was actually the weekend sports guy on one of my local channels here in Philadelphia at, at the time. So when he came at, w, when he came at WBF, Josh, Josh, my older brother, goes like, that's the guy from the news. He's, he's in WBF now. <laughs> and I totally drawn a blank recently. I'm like, oh, yeah, he was. He wasn't good at that either, was he? Apparently not. And Fowler now hosts All-American with Bobby Heenan. So Fowler's replaced Mean Gene in that role. Would you call that an upgrade or a downgrade? I I'm gonna I'd have to be reminded of some of the work of Joe Fallon, because um, I know Mean Gene in his heyday was was excellent and without peer. But I've ribbed him enough on this podcast uh, for making it too much about him and not enough about what's going on and and being a bit out of place. But I've not seen enough of Joe to to cast too many aspersions on him. Okay. I will make it my mission before we speak next to watch some Joe Fallon stuff, and I'll be back next week with a proper opinion on him. I'll, I'll make it easier for you. He he leaves the company in November, and he never works in professional wrestling again. Okay. <laughs> I think <laughs> that kind of blots his ink paper. And, then, and what you saw of him at SummerSlam was basically him in his most distilled form. With the high, squeaky voice. Right, okay. But I need to see a bit more before I before I cast a full opinion. I thought he was annoying at SummerSlam, but I'd like to see a bit more. Jim Cornette said it best when he, when he told him in that interview, I'll tell you the biggest surprise in your employment. <laughs> that was a good line. If he gave nothing else to the industry, it was as a, as a post for Jim Cornette to get that line in on. It was a good line. <laughs> so we have Perfect and Bell here. Perfect smacking him around. He's he's uh he, Bell's doing the same bit that Devita did last week, where he takes control for a little bit and gets cocky, which allows Perfect to uh, fire up, get a little bit redder in the face, and start beating the crap out of him in return. 
Mike Bell, I have to say, his chops sucked. He's doing them in the corner. He's got he's got he's got perfect cornered. He's firing away. He's kind of pulling up at the last second, so you're not getting the oomph that you should get off of a of a knife edge chop. But perfect has no problem firing back even harder. Do you think perfect fired back harder because Mike was so weak with them? It kind of because there was an element of the Wild West in wrestling in that time where it was just not going to really hit you. <laughs> yeah, really chop you in the chop you in the face. What? Well, it's possible, or, or it could have been that Bell pulled up to make himself look weak so that when Perfect fired back, it looked like he was trying to kill him. I mean, there is that. Because he, he's being built up for Diesel, because Diesel calls him the match at SummerSlam. As mentioned, you know, not really any mentions of Sean in this match at all since uh, that whole situation was going on. So at this he, point, do you think they were aware that Sean was, was away? Well, the commentary was probably done that day. It might have been done live that night, you know, while the episode was uh, being broadcast out. It could have been live commentary on a tape show. So I think at this point, Sean is a persona non grata, and they're not calling much attention to him as a performer at this point. Because the whole focus now is perfect in Diesel, and Sean doesn't really have a feud at this point. So I'm thinking they're kind of uh, putting Sean on ice at the moment. So perfect. Uh, he bullies Bell a little bit more. He pulls out his face while punching him, gives him the perfect plex. So at that at that point, I came to the same conclusion that perhaps his intensity over the last two weeks is is just part of the work, and it's not really him coming to work in a pissed off mood and then taking out on, on his support. On yeah, his I feel like after seeing this, this is this is the fix. This is this is a more intense, very angry Mister Perfect. But it shows you just how effective last week was when uh, we were wondering, was that a shoot? Oh, God, yeah. It really showed how brilliant Perfect can be at just being an angry sod. He truly <laughs> he truly had us fooled. It's like the defeater not shake his hand earlier that day, and now it's payback time. <laughs> that was a – it was an effective squash. It, it did what it was supposed to do if that was the intent. It certainly, but it feels like it's building to something with Perfect now. Well, he, if he's going to feud with Diesel, then he he has to ramp up his intensity since Diesel's such a large opponent. And in order to match that level of intensity, then you need to you know, get a little bit pissed off, I guess. And Perfect is uh he can't take Diesel lightly, so now he's kind of psyching himself up to battle the big guy. So that does make sense. We. We come to Ludwig Borga. This is my favorite bit of the night. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to love this or hate this because, I mean, I love it because there was two funny uh, lines in this. Ludwig Borga is by this polluted river. He's wearing a sleeveless button-up shirt. It was like a work shirt. <laughs> a, uh, he it's a looks work like shirt a no postman. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. He looks like a mailman. <laughs> Sleeveless, buttoned-up shirt, jorts, <laughs> and, and work boots. It's like it's like casual day off, big boss man. <laughs> We're going to serve hard time. <laughs> so Borga is a uh, look at this garbage. <laughs> he's From the get-go, she'll... we're locked in. Yes. He's lamenting how filthy all this pollution is, and, and, and he questions how Lex Luger 
can defend all this in his in his love of America. There's a line here that I have to quote verbatim. <laughs> it, this should have been like on a T-shirt. He says, "You call this the land of milk and honey? Well, down here it stinks funny." <laughs> that was the <laughs> and. <laughs> Would you not buy a shirt that had that phrase on it? <laughs> it reminded me how funny that line is. And do you know what? Do you know what adds to it? What what enhanced that line for me was as he was saying it, there were shots panning around this very this this lake that had a bit of rubbish in it. It wasn't like a <laughs> landfill. Just some <laughs> rubbish. But they <laughs> They, 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 the camera pointed at a dead fish in the water, <laughs> and the reaction was they hung on this fish for ages, and then they zoomed in on it. And I love the fact that somebody in their time working for the WWF had to use the line "zoom in on the fish," <laughs> zoom like in on the dead format. fish. Find some guy in concrete shoes floating yeah. <laughs> as the river uh, ebbs. <laughs> it's just—it's incredible. I what a twist! What a twist for Ludwig Borger. I mean, it was fine that he was just Finnish guy that was just battering people, and suddenly now they've gone. Oh, by the way, he's also an environmentalist. <laughs> Could you imagine if Rocky Four had this plot? If <laughs> if Drago was like, through what happened in it, with the Union Carbide incident, Rocky Balboa, I will break you. You, he, he, I've, I've just looked at my notes again, and you haven't mentioned the other absolute belter of a line in this promo. Is it what he called Lex Luger? Yes, where he's so he's he stood there in this lake where there's like a bag of crisps and a dead fish. And, and a, <laughs> you want me to do it? No, give me a minute. Give me a minute. <laughs> Lex Luger, you stand. If you stand for all of this, that makes you one thing. <laughs> A garbage driver. <laughs> not a garbage, a garbage truck, truck driver. driver. <sighs> not, oh, not, no. well, well, okay, first of <laughs> all, that's, that's a very flawed statement because <laughs> someone who drives a garbage truck is actively participating in the routine pickup of trash. <laughs> to, they drive around uh, you know, a few days out of the week. You, you, put, you bring your bins to the curb, and they take the stuff away. And they put it in a landfill where it's you know it's you're supposed to go, even though it's not always the safest thing. You know, having just this big landfill in the middle of town, but in theory they're helping. You know they're they're taking proactive measures to uh to keep things you know, smelling nice and 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 to be beautified and so. But you know you are a garbage driver, not garbage truck driver, meaning that Lex Luger has fashioned together a bunch of trash bags and a bunch of assorted filth. <laughs> And has somehow found a way to propel it. And <laughs> it's like the Lex Express, except with the, except 
except that Lex, by virtue of losing at SummerSlam, can't afford a driver anymore, so he fired Hank Carter. <laughs> and, so he's now just the solo garbage driver. Yes. That is how low your push has gotten. The faith in you but from Vince McMahon is diminished. You are a garbage driver. <laughs> Which, incidentally, wouldn't have been a bad name for Duke Drosy's finisher. The garbage driver. <laughs> And and he finishes the whole thing as the <laughs> oh yeah so the so the camera the cameraman is a tour de force in this as well so we've had to zoom in on the dead fish. <laughs> Ludwig Borg is there just saying environment pollution it's all rubbish you're a garbage driver you stink and the camera zooms in on Ludwig Borger thinking he's about to finish realizing that he isn't zooms back out again. <laughs> As he carries on talking. And then he finishes the whole promo with the almighty line, America stinks. Lex Lucas stinks. So Americans choke on this. (laughs) (laughs) What was... (laughs) If you had played... If you had played the Ludwig Borger drinking game... I'd be battered. And took one sip every time he said pollution. <laughs> you would have been too drunk to fish at that point. This this is oh my days. This this is the highlight of the entire show for me. This this not Lebron McGill's drop kick. The the drop kick's a close second. But this to me is the highlight of the show because I didn't see it coming. Because I'm like, this has been quite like it's been a been a fine episode of Raw so far. Things have happened, things have moved along, stories have progressed, and then suddenly we just see Ludwig Borger standing in a slightly dirty lake wearing jean shorts, calling Lex Luger a garbage driver. <laughs> a garbage driver. This is this is and this is why I love wrestling. <laughs> For stuff like I, this, I, I, I I'd have to concur with that. This is why <laughs> wrestling is the greatest sport on earth. What other medium could have stuff like this in it? Oh, oh, I've got a headache now. So, oh, but it's it's so. And, and this and Le- Ludwig Borger is essentially the the greatest athlete because he has the look and the move set of a Brock Lesnar, but the mindset <laughs> of Daniel Bryan. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true. He's actually like the greatest sports entertainer ever. <laughs> you are fickle, Luger. Fickle. Imagine if Ludwig was to ever win the WWF Championship and make a special belt out of hemp. Oh, no, no, it wouldn't be. It would be recycled like plastic bottles. It would be, it would be like the wireframe from a shopping trolley. It would be. <laughs> Um, it would be plastic bottles around the outside and a dead fish centerpiece. That would be the Ludwig Borger WWF belt. I had Reg Parks put this together for me. <laughs> I had John so- Eiley design this on Photoshop. John! John, we need the Ludwig Borger belt. The Ludwig Borger you- custom WWF belt. Thank you, please. If you could be a sweetheart and commission that for us, we'd, we'd, we'd greatly appreciate that. I, lo- I love this recycled, environmentally friendly belt so much, we should mass produce it. You know, it's, it's funny because this segment was not supposed to be funny, but the next one was. 
But this was even funnier than what followed. And what followed that was like, was actually pretty funny under itself. This the, oh Bob, yeah, I know where you are. So Bobby Heenan, he's fighting through his grave illness here, and he takes time to introduce this couple in the front row. Who is another one of those marriage proposal deals where the guy's gonna, you know, ask the girl to marry him, and Bobby Heenan has to add his own little witty asides. Heenan makes the girl hold his uh ostensibly wet Kleenex that he's been cleaning his nose with for the last however many minutes. <laughs> he, he, he gives him popcorn for some reason. He says, is this yours? And that woman is apparently happy to have it. Heenan makes fun of the guy's accent because he, uh, apparently English was not his first language. Heenan's just a writer in this whole thing. And he, get, he gets off one line at one point, which I don't know how to take this. When he tells the guy, you'll probably be hungry in an hour. <laughs> If what you watch the bit, moment. you might. Well, if you watch the bit, you may have figured out why he said that. And if, if, if you see it the way that I said, you might go like, "Oh, going to be able to say that line today." Ah, uh, oh. right. I I literally just got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah. That's uh. Yeah. That's very <laughs> racist, Bobby Heenan. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's Bobby, so it's. He's going to be – he's always been an edgy performer. You know that. Why do they do these awkward marriage proposals on Raw? Because it's easy money. Is that what it is? It's just – It could, could be or just, just something different to fill out the show and maybe just showcase Heenan's wit a little bit. Yeah. So he, he does have a funny line back at the table when he, when he says he had some advice for him, which is two can eat as cheaply as one as long as you don't feed her. <laughs> oh, God. So then we come oh, to what Bobby. appears. To... So then we come to what appears to be a random squash match: Erwin R. Scheister versus P.J. Walker, the future Justin Credible. Iris kicks his ass for a little bit until we get the appearance of Razor Ramon, and you can kind of figure out where this is going to go from here. Funny note, though. In the year 2000, Scott Hall briefly appeared in ECW for like a a, a weekend spate of shows in, in in the New York area. Very briefly, I do recall this happening. He wrestled just incredible PJ Walker, who had Francine in his corner. So you have basically an ECW match amongst seven all years this. in advance. Wow. <laughs> At the time, I guess IRS might have been in all Japan or something. I'm not sure. But in, in present day, 1993, he's distracted by Razor. Walker's been sufficiently beaten down in his eyes, so he has time to jaw with Scott Hall at ringside. And then and then a roll-up occurs. IRS gets pinned. PJ Walker wins. PJ Walker has just beaten IRS. And the pop is wonderful for this. Because it does reinforce the whole anything could happen that they've been uh, beating into our heads ever since Kid beat Razor. When they've had all those squash matches where the jobber gets in one or two big moves and you're thinking like, oh, we could have an upset here. Ah, not this time. But by having PJ Walker beat IRS like that, it does put a little more equity in the idea that a jobber can win at any time. Even if it does involve a distraction finish. And it's actually a great way to to continue the the razor and money ink feud. The whole thing of you you're laughing at me because a, a, a nobody beat me. Well, spoiler, <laughs> and nobody's just beat you. Oh, ho, ho, ho. 
But now DBS is gone. He has to focus on IRS, who we know DBS was beaten by the kid over the summer, but now it's IRS's turn. And well, I guess PJ Walker was a good enough choice for that. Seeing as a year later, he 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 turned up in a yellow jockstrap on his head as Aldo Montoya, oh, the Portuguese man of war. Of course, we get the Portuguese man of war still to come. Get in. <laughs> I can't wait till one year from now. <laughs> in the run up to Mania 36. Aldo Montoya versus Gary Sable. <laughs> this match was... <laughs> we'll still be here, mate. We'll still be here. <laughs> like, like, I can't believe Adam was like the Prime Minister. Can you? But anyway. <laughs> so after this match, when we have Razor doing the bit where he taunts IRS, IRS is being held back by the officials. He's livid, of course. Razor's you know, doing the one, two, three finger gesture just to rub it in. They will feud for many months after this. But for the time being, we have Bobby Heenan doing a end-of-show interview. and He's apparently all better now. He's interviewing the Quebecers and Johnny Polo. Polo says there are other great teams out there, so the Steiners get no title shot, which is carny for they've been suspended. Yeah, like you say, this kind of retcons the, the match we had earlier on. Yeah, they kind of... Uh... Had to do something there, so they just say, eh, no shot for them. But next week, we're going to face two very worthwhile opponents. You know, the, the very best competition available, so we'll face them instead. And you'll see who that is in one week's time. Next week's show is, is monumental because it is the first Monday Night Raw to take place outside the state of New York. It is indeed, and, 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 it's in the, and spoiler, it's in the back garden. I'm sorry, what was that? It's spoiler. It's in the back garden. Back garden? It's in the yard of WWF headquarters. Uh, close enough. It's New Haven, Connecticut, which is neighboring to New York State. And Savage informs us that you know, New Haven's close to Yale University. Savage said he went there and he majored in machoism. Of course. That's, you, can get it, you, can get, um, you can still get that degree now. I, uh, believe, I John... believe Adam Pacitti has taken said qualification. He got his master's in that. John, if you could be a deer and and draw what a degree in machoism would look like. Yes, please. John. 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 I'm going to print that son of a... Uh, I was going to swear there. It would have been much cooler if I got it right the first time. <laughs> you did very well, I'm, mate. <laughs> I'm going to print that son of a bitch out and put it on my wall. Yes! Here in my office. Got it right the second time. So next week's show, we will see Tatanka. We will see Ludwig Borga and the one-night-only return of Superfly Jimmy Snooker. Ooh, how exciting. Hall of Famer. And at those tapings, Snooker will be involved in another match that has very important implications for the future of WWF for short-term and long-term. Ooh, okay. Color me intrigued. But, plus, we have the tag title match, Quebecers versus two opponents to be named. And apparently now Vince is sick because now he's he's coughing and wheezing at the table, and that's how we go off the air this week. Also, next week Jack Tunney will make an announcement, um, and, and that that will start the show next week. We will not say what that announcement is because we'll find out together. Okay. But there is a Jack Tunney announcement forthcoming, and to celebrate that, we asked you. On the official Cultaholic Fans Facebook page 
to give us some fake facts about Jack Tunney. I thought these were real. I wish they were real. <laughs> Hashtag Jack Tunney fake news should have given it away. We should get the Weird Al CNR song about Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney was a mighty man, the kind of man you never disrespect. Anyway. Um, I've asked Justin to, to go through them and give us a top 10. So in no particular order. I'm not sure if my five and your five are different anyway. We might have five. I've got, I've got a couple of backups two. just in case, but um, in no particular well, order. Well, these are the order I found them in. The first one goes to Flynn O'Connell, who said, Jack Tunney once sold a hat to the Macho Man. Macho <laughs> doesn't know what this means. <laughs> Yay! I love it. I love the fact that people are in on the in-jokes. Carl Engel, who is a regular contributor to the show, someone who's a, a huge supporter of the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review, he says, funny Jack Tunney can beat anybody at Rock, Paper, Scissors using only his feet, and furthermore, he was a guitarist on the first Nickelback album. That was so. That was that was so non-linear. I had to include it. <laughs> Just to thank you, Carl. Uh, Jack McMorrow tells us the Mercy Rule was created for victims of Jack Tunney. <laughs> he, he does not say victims of what, but but we can possibly infer as to what victims of Jack Tunney. Uh, what realm that would fall into? Could be kickball. Could be. Murder, death ball, who knows? Ron Mata, a longtime friend of mine, writes in Despite his ruling, Jack Tunney never really cared for the big boss man's mother. <laughs> I like to think they fell out. <laughs> for those of you who, 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 were, who were watching in 1990, Rick Rude left the company. And the, and the caveman excuse was uh, that he made insulting comments about boss man's mother, so Jack Tunney had to fire him. I love wrestling. I freaking love wrestling. <laughs> and and Mike Bell, not that Mike Bell, a different Mike Bell, tells us the ghost of Jack Tony turns up at every WB funeral just to be the bigger man, and then he steals a collection plate. <laughs> Good twist there. Thank you, Mike. Oh, gosh. Okay, um... Five of mine. Um, Carl Engel. Jack Tunney can't spell his own name. And furthermore, he was the 1988 World Kaplunk champion. I like Carl's entries because it's two things that have nothing to do with each other at all. <laughs> um, right, James Gray. Jack Tunney was at one stage in talks to become the third man to be the face of the George Foreman grill and was nearly awarded the WWF title after vacant failed the wellness policy. <laughs> this could be true. You never know. As a wrestling is a very weird place. You never know. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Um, Stephen Douglas Tula. The name Tunny was in fact a rib based on the absolute ton of ass hiding under his desk. <laughs> I must have missed that one. I would have definitely included that one if I saw it. Uh, Dale Anthony Thornton. 
In a recent interview with Byron Saxton, Jack Tunney broke his silence that he was actually Mr. America. He asked Hogan backstage if he could go out instead. Hogan accepted. Jack went on with the gimmick and nobody had a clue who he was. Honestly, tennis has never been the same since. (laughs) And my last one. um, And honestly, I had a nightmare picking five because... you, uh, if you're on the Cultaholic fans page, you're a triumph. You truly are. I've been genuinely in what has been a kayfabe, rough old seven days. I think I've laughed more reading these than I have in a while. So thank you very much. Um, Paul Parker Duba, I'm going to give you a nod for the last one. Uh, Jack Tunney is not his real name, but he made up a kayfabe moniker for the role of president. His real name is Tack Johnny. <laughs> Tack Johnny. <laughs> it sounds like an NXT wrestler from like, from like, like, like 2013. <laughs> like an FCW guy from 2008. Oh. And now Percy Watson versus Tack Johnny. <laughs> I mean, I want to just very quickly, because this only came in 17 minutes ago. So this came in whilst we were recording from Jason Little. Uh, Jack Tunney invented AstroTurf. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> Why not? It seems very specific. Uh, it seems very specific, as though that could have happened. I just, yeah, it's one of those things where it's one of those facts where you go, "That's so ridiculous." But that could probably be true because I couldn't tell you who invented AstroTurf. Would Tack Johnny's uh, tag team partner have been Shannon Moore's brother further? <laughs> So every time he said furthermore, he was just pining for Shannon's brother. <laughs> furthermore, I summon thee. <laughs> like he's a wizard in, a, in the Dungeon of Doom. Oh, gosh. Oh, but thank you. you have, you've been absolute stars on the official Cultaholic fans Facebook page. Thank you. That was genuinely a treat to end the show on. Thank you all so much. Um, at JRH Writing on Twitter, if you want to tweet him, if you want to tweet Justin more Jack Tunney facts this week, please do so. <laughs> I don't mind. Go ahead. And, and, and also, I'm going to fight it this time. Also, should you tweet? You you, you know, um, I can't remember the film it's from, but you know where they keep going and then, and then, mm. no, and then. Right. Can't remember the film. Um. If you were to tweet Justin Henry, after if he if you reply to a Justin Henry tweet with "Furthermore," Justin has to continue the tweet. <laughs> no, the hell I don't. <laughs> so if he just puts "Hey, good game for the for the team today," if you tweet him "Furthermore," he has to go into more detail. <laughs> no, I don't. That's not part of the deal. I entertain everyone for 90 minutes a week anyway, so. <laughs> At JRH writing. I kid. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not that sour. Come on now. You're a lovely human being. At JRH oh, writing you. on Twitter. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. We are at Cultaholic together. Jack Tunney invented AstroTurf. Love you. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. (laughs) 